Guys, everybody knows that the Handlebar is one of the best places in Chico to get your craft beer fix. But here's something maybe you didn't know. They have a happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m., during which you get a dollar off all of any of their 28 amazing craft beers they have on tap. They also have delicious food, an awesome patio. And again, they're open seven days a week. They open up at noon. Head on down there. Catch their happy hour between 2 and 6 for a dollar off any draft beer. That's the Handlebar, 2070 East 20th Street here in Chico. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema. We are a craft beer and movie podcast and sometimes radio show based in Chico, California. And my name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Welcome. Thanks for joining us again. This week on the show, we have our review of the new film, The Green Knight. It's the newest from A24 and writer-director David Lowry uh, of a ghost story fame, which we covered from 2017, excuse me, which reinterprets the anonymous uh, 14th century-ish Arthurian poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and delivers it to the big screen in a sprawling, cinematic, and very much A24 kind of way. Johnny, what are we drinking this week? <laughs> very A24, yeah. that's right. Our beers this week, we are drinking some delicious stuff, hopefully it's delicious, from Original Patterns Brewing out of Oakland. I actually picked this up in Sacramento, but they are from Oakland. If you're listening on KZFR, we're only going to hear our first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our chat about the Green Knight. That's right, but have no fear. If you want to hear the entire episode, you can find it, plus more than 200 other film and beer episodes of this show dating all the way back to 2016 at any of the following places on spotify soundcloud apple podcasts etc we drop a new episode every friday bright and early 7 a.m if you like what you're hearing please leave us a rating and a review five stars preferably yeah. uh, it helps other people hear us so we can get more ratings and the saga would continue if you're a hip young cool person you like being on social media you can find us on instagram for photos you can find us on Letterboxd for film reviews, Untapped for beer reviews. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. At all those places, we are at Fresh Hop Cinema, or just head to our website, www.freshhopcinema.com. Yeah, or you can shoot us an email at fhccast at gmail.com if you have any feedback, tried any of the beers, seen any of the movies, or just want to have a chat, shoot us an email. Yeah, we love hearing from people. Let's also talk about ways to uh, support the show. If you like, you've done all that stuff, you're feeling good, and you're like, what can I do? Take that extra step. We are on Patreon. That's a way that you can give us a buck or two or three a week or a month, whatever you choose, and help keep our show moving, rolling, sipping, watching. And we give you really fun stuff back, like bonus episodes, um, invites to exclusive events around town, private screenings of films at the movie theater, or from the comfort of your own home. There's a lot of stuff going all the way back to, I believe, right about when we started this show. So uh, almost five years worth of bonus content for as little as like four bucks a month. If you're into that, go to patreon.com slash freshhopcinema for more information. It's super easy to sign up and it really, really helps us out. With that, Johnny Summers, I believe that's all we have to take care of at the top of the show. You mentioned Original Pattern Brewing, which is a new brewery to me at least. What is their deal? Yeah, man, they make beer. And they're from Oakland, so that's enough for me. I'm in. Let's do it. Fair. Uh, from their website, I'll give you a little bit of their about me. So Original Pattern Brewing Company is an award-winning employee-owned brewery and tasting room in Oakland, California. They say, we love all styles of beer and always have a diverse selection ranging from IPAs, both hazy and clear, to lagers and sours and everything in between. 
Our team also has connections down under, and we frequently showcase a range of unique and hard-to-get New Zealand hops in our IPAs. Uh, the original pattern was named one of the top 10 best new breweries in the United States by USA Today magazine. Uh, they won a gold medal at the 2019 California Craft Brewers Cup in nice. the American Wild Ale or Sour category and took home a silver medal at the 2018 Great American Beer Festival in other Belgian-style ale category. Whoa, so, are, are we drinking a sour or a Belgian-style ale first? Nope, we're drinking neither <laughs> of those first. Good. I mean, people have already told them how good those beers are, so it's our turn to step up and, and define a new style. Yeah, man. Exactly. So our first beer is called Under the Voodoo. I'm going to tell you the specifics, and then Max is going to tell you about the can because it's pretty, pretty cool. Wait a minute. What's it called? Uh, under, or I'm sorry, Undo cool. the Voodoo. Great. Uh, get, me, get, get me out from Under the Voodoo by undoing <laughs> the Voodoo. Perfect. I don't know. Yeah, it's a lot of words. All right. So this is going to be a 6.9% ABV. It's an IPA of the clear variety, and it has... It uh, says, Under the Voodoo features tangerine, melon, grapefruit, citra, and mosaic hops. So I'm thinking those first three are flavors or yeah. adjuncts, sure. maybe. And uh, then uh, citra and mosaic hops are the featured hops. Not a whole lot of information online about this beer. So we're going to let our palates do the talking for us. But Max, tell me about the Undo the Voodoo can, because it's what drew me to it at first. It's it's very, very eye-catching. Um, the first thing I notice if I'm starting from the top and moving down is that this particular one says it was canned uh, at the end of June of, of 21, so we've got a, a fairly fresh beer in front of us, and it's got a really, really satisfying color palette. There's like this this fuchsia pink, uh, it looks like footprint, or no, what are those, little leaves maybe, surrounding golden wings with skulls in the middle and hands, palms facing out with an eyeball, and this kind of repeating pattern that's maybe two and a half inches wide. All of that is behind a big logo that says original pattern brewing, undo the voodoo IPA 6.9%. And it's on, yeah, this really sort of eye catching sort of can. I think I would have probably grabbed this as well, dude. Yeah. I really like the aesthetics of this brewery. Uh, have you had a chance to try the liquid yet? I poured it and, and sniffed it. And I was going to say off the cuff that this definitely does seem like a beer that, that not only you would grab, but that I think you will really enjoy. I'd also like to say that I believe tangerine, melon, and grapefruit, probably not adjuncts, flavor descriptors, I would guess, just based on the nose. Um, and it yeah. also does say on the can that the uh, the featured hops, if I can find it again, uh, yeah, are citra and mosaic, like you said. So I think the tangerine, melon, and grapefruit are probably going to be indicative of the West Coast style, flavor-wise, not adjuncts added to the beer. So no, I've not tasted it. Have you? Uh, I have. Uh, first thing, obviously, though, you smell with your nose before anything. And man, it's got it's got a big powerful nose on it man this thing is just it smells dank you're getting yeah. also some fruit too i get a lot of the fruitiness definitely a bunch of citrus a little bit of some melony notes like cantaloupe almost uh it's nice on the nose and it tastes very robust the spirit yeah. is a lot a lot more aggressive than it smells you know it's got a really present bitterness that's balanced out with some nice sweet notes it never Crosses the line into like juicy, but it does mm -hmm. have some nice sweet notes from those hops for sure. I, yeah, man, I noticed there's, there's, this isn't a great comparison unless you were at the same point in your craft beer journey as I was back when, uh, Deschutes put out a beer called, I'm going to try to rack my brain. Um, and maybe you can help me. It was a pine forward IPA. It was like a couple years after fresh squeeze came out. It was, um, pine, pine needles, pine drop, something like that. Pine drops. Is that a thing? Pine. Ooh, Pine Drops might have been it. Okay, so when Pine Drops came out, 
I was fairly new to like really digging IPAs. And that one was just so piney as it should have been because of the name, but there was this really sort of fresh foresty taste about it. And I'm almost getting that from this in a really, really enjoyable way. Though I agree with you, if I put them side by side, I bet you the one that we have today is way more intense than that one was back when I hadn't been exposed to quite as many. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You're, you've just been exposed to so much more. The world is a scary and hoppy and delicious yeah. place. This is good though, man. I'm really, this is a great, uh, great first impression for me on this brewery. I'm, I'm stoked so far. Yeah, I agree completely. This has everything I want in a West coast, man. It's, it's hoppy, it's aggressive, it's bitter. It's got a little bit of dryness on the finish yep. and it, it, it's got just like a sprinkling of a musty flavor but yeah. just enough to make it like nice, like it's musty in a good way. That doesn't make sense, but trust me, no, it's, it does. it's real. Um, because yeah, you want a little bit of that to just balance out the sharp edges and that that biting bitterness. No, this has got a really, really great balance at its foundation of ingredients. This is well put together. And man, talk about an introduction to a brewery. This place is putting out some world-class beer. I'm very impressed with this IPA. The mustiness that you're describing is something that I would almost attribute to maltiness, which I think, like you're saying, does balance out the bite of those hops pretty well. It does strike me, though, as a beer that if given the opportunity to warm up, even probably by the time I'm finished drinking it today, is going to fall off quite a bit in terms of that really bright citrus hop punch. And it's yeah. just going to kind of veer into the side of um, sort of muted kind of round, yeah, almost, almost mustiness, which is not going to be great, but but cold as it should be, this drinks very, very well. Yeah. If you let this warm up, it's going to start to get even more bitter. I think I feel like someone uh, listening is going to be like, do you let any beer warm up? It's going to, which is true. But like, that's not what I mean. Like if you let this get even a like if you're holding this can in your hand while you're drinking it, I think halfway through, you're going to be like, this isn't as good as when it started, which right. is, is something of, of a, a taken away a point in my brain slightly. Yeah, I suppose a little, but I mean, drink your beer. Yeah, that's right. Drink faster. Just, just drink your beer. <laughs> uh, the the thing that I noticed probably the most with this beer is its cleanness. Mm -hmm. This drink's so crisp and refreshing and clean. It doesn't leave any lingering bad tastes. Uh, it dissipates pretty rapidly, kind of leaves you wanting wanting more. Like, I love that it drinks so clean. For an IPA, it can get muddled with the hops and, yeah. you know, just too much. And it leaves your mouth kind of feeling weird but no this one it drinks so nice and clean very crisp very refreshing yeah this is also right in the wheelhouse of abvs where you can at 6.9 percent where you do get that sort of alcohol punch but like you're saying it does not take away from the rest of it it does lend itself to being a very clean drinking beer like 6.9 is kind of in my brain sort of the perfect give give a point or two for abv it's like sort of the exact right uh realm for beers like this to be hanging out in yeah i agree completely it's not so aggressive where that you're going to feel out of commission or out of sorts too bad after one can. Uh, yeah. It's a great, great ABV for, for a single, single hop or not single hop, but just a single IPA. Yeah. yeah. Blame it on the, uh, blame it on the, uh, the Bayou magic, if you will. But this beer is, is, is growing on me a bit. I've only had about four sips so far, but I'm, I'm enjoying it more and more. Yeah. I like this beer quite a bit. Super excited for our second beer later on. All right. We got to We got to Pick it apart. You want to stick a couple of bobby pins in this thing and see if it, if it, <laughs> I'm trying to make some voodoo references. Stop. <laughs> okay. Do you got anything you don't like about it is what I'm trying to ask. Huh. I mean, not much. It's, it's pretty up there, man. I'm, hmm. I could, I don't know, man. I don't think there is. My, my only couple of 
very, very sort of minor nitpicks is that I think the carbonation could be a little bit more aggressive. It feels as I'm drinking a little bit more like it sort of, it doesn't even come close to syrupy in the traditional sense, but, but compared to sort of top echelon IPAs that I think of, it's a little less aggressive in the body than I would like. I want a little bit more heft to kind of back up the, uh, the intensity that I'm getting with all the flavors. So you're saying it's a little thin, not, not thin exactly, but it needs more carbonation. I think it's mm. not, yeah, not thin. If anything, it feels a little bit thick given the lack of, of bubbles. And there's not a lack of bubbles. Again, I'm nitpicking pretty hard here, but I think it could That's use funny. a little bit more effervescence. Why are you getting the opposite? Yeah. I thought it was pretty thin and drinkable. Like I liked that it had a bit more not thickness to it. Yeah. Right I, for that would be. I mean, I could be picking a knit so small that it's a preferential thing and like one one man's bubbles is another man's flatness, but still, yeah. it's yeah again yeah. yeah nitpicking hard. You got nothing that's jumping out because I'm going to ask you what you're going to rate this in a second. If you've said nothing bad, I'm going to fight you if you don't say ten. Well, no, I mean not every beer can be a ten. You can be a great beer but not be a ten. That's It'd be true. silly to just pass out tens willy nilly. Yeah, and you don't. I don't mean to accuse you of that. You haven't. You yeah. don't. You don't just throw them out like Oprah. No. Um, no, it's solid. It's not it's not life changing, but it's it's real good. It's way better than average. This is significantly Agreed. above average. Um, I would say this is in the top twenty five percent IPAs available on the market. Nice. It's absolutely delicious. A very great representation of the the new school West Coast IPA. Uh it's right up my alley. I'm I'm ready to rate it if you are. Well put. Okay. Undo or under, if you ask Johnny. The voodoo. Out of ten, sir. What are you giving it? Out of ten for me, it's uh, it's an eight six. This eight point kill- six killer beer. That's a huge score. Great score, but not as good as mine, which is a nine. Mm-hmm. I think this is yeah, this is great, man. I would drink this again for sure. Um, obviously, we're gonna sip it as the conversation continues. It's been a long time since I've had to go back and change my rating because my tastes have changed in the twenty minutes it'll take. But I feel very confident and um, very privileged to rate this beer a nine and be able to drink it. So. Thank you, A, to you, Johnny, for picking this, and B, to Original Pattern for making it. Yeah, absolutely. You're welcome, and yeah, thanks for them. To them. Sure. Uh, You got anything else on Undo the Voodoo? Uh, I picked this up at Curtis Park Market in Sacramento. They're a great bottle shop if you're in the area to go check out, go support them. That's, That's where I got it, and I'd say go check them out. Well, once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. If you get a chance to try this beer, we want to know what you think, so reach out. Again, you can find us uh, by sending an email to fhccast at gmail.com or find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. And feel free to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is a trailer for The Green Knight, which we won't be spoiling until much later in the show. So if you haven't seen it, don't worry. We'll be right back after this. Friends. Brothers and sisters. Who can... Regale me and my queen with some myth. Or tale. O greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will be deep. Already. 
You must seek him out. Was it not just a game? Perhaps. But it is not complete. You'll find no mercy. No happy end. Why do you stop me? Near doom is at hand. You rest your bones. I'll finish your quest for you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema on KZFR 90.1 FM. That was a trailer for The Green Knight, the latest from writer-director David Lowry starring Dev Patel as Gawain, or as they uh, pronounce it in this film, Gawain, right? Is that what you were hearing? Gawain? I heard Garwin. Yeah, I, I did too, but I think it's that like Welsh accent. I think it's Gawain. I don't know why they'd add the R. The point is, he's the nephew of King Arthur. Yes, you know, that King Arthur. The film opens on Christmas morning with Gawain, the nephew of King Arthur, played again by Dev Patel, waking up hungover in a brothel after a night of, you know, uh, merrymaking. Stuff like that. <laughs> he, uh, he makes his way home and then promptly to the king's court to celebrate the Christmas holiday. King Arthur and Queen Guinevere ask him to sit next to them because, again, it's his nephew and ask him to regale them with tales of his heroism and his adventures. And he very ashamedly says he has none to tell. And basically, at that exact moment, the doors of the halls blow open and then enter the titular Green Knight with his challenge, or he's, as he calls it, a, a Christmas game to any man who can land a blow on him who will win his axe. But one year later, that man must then travel to the Green Chapel and accept the same blow he delivers to be struck on him by the Green Knight himself. Gawain? in an attempt to prove his honor and chivalry, accepts this task, and, you know, the movie kind of unfolds from there. I won't say too much more, but, um, you know, Johnny, we've both been highly anticipating, I think is fair, uh, this movie since before it was pushed back, way back in May of 2020 due to COVID. We are also both outspoken fans of David Lowry's 2017 film, A Ghost Story. Plus, Mm -hmm. you and I are both huge fans of the fantasy genre in general, whether it's like high fantasy like Lord of the Rings or, or, or Willow. Or something from Arthurian legend. I think for the most part, you and I are always all in. Always down. And also Dev Patel. Love him. Yeah, I know. So good. But that said, this is a film, like I said in the intro of this show, it's adapted from a 14th century poem, filtered through the mind of David Lowry, and then bought and distributed by A24. It's a gorgeous slow burn. It's meandering. It's kind of trippy. There's giants. There's basically talking trees. And there's not a single mention of the name Excalibur. It's objectively abstract. It's incredibly thematically subjective, which is all sort of a long-winded way of saying, (laughs) it's not your grandmother's King Arthur story. So let's start with the basics. Johnny Summers, what did you think of The Green Knight? Yeah, that's a really nice way of putting it, that it's very, what did you say, thematically uh, or cinematically objective? What did you Uh, say? Thematically subjective, for sure. Thematically subjective. Very abstract, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And that is, you know, you can, there's definitely a plot. There's a beginning, a middle and end. There's, there's a defined mission that he's going on. A quest. Um, a quest. But I think what happens is the most important things happen in between the scenes of the quest. I mean, mm. this movie went from very quest driven to very meta and very philosophical rather quickly. Like you, you, Pretty early in the movie, realize you you're dealing with like a piece, like an oil painting, come to life that's telling a story, mm. uh, and the lack of hand feeding of of the plot and of the emotions and the the character progression really is not spoon fed. It's not even offered. It's here, you figure it out, you put on this movie what you what you want to see, and. I agree it was a very slow burn, but I think it's not unfair for me to say that this is the most visually pleasing movie I've seen this year. That's gorgeous. Um, it's gorgeous. I found myself just drifting off in these landscapes, man. I was so into it. Just the color palette and the richness of the ward, like his yellow like coat. Yeah, cape whatever that thing. Is. Dude, that's like iconic. It was it was tremendous. Uh, but I liked this. This movie didn't spoon feed it to you. I mean, we're all accustomed to a quest film, and this was quite far from that. And the way that I interpreted this was it became very much so like a journey of self-discovery, and a lot of it is, was examining why, 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 why are we even on a quest? Right. Like what? What's a? What even is a quest, man? <laughs> like. Yeah, aren't we all like you know? And it just got really deep into these issues, and it could have gone super cerebral and heady, but it didn't. But it left room for you to do that in your own mind. I think it it struck a really great balance of of plot and also leaving the viewer with a, an element of mystery. Uh, there were you know moving scenes in it. There were honestly a few slower scenes like it felt a little bit long at times mm. but luckily those scenes for me that felt long were backdropped in this just gorgeous scenery so they never really felt long it felt like you were kind of just giving the scene its fair due um i feel like this movie is excellent for people that are into thinking movies mm. because this is this is a thinking movie this is you watch and you figure it out and you're thinking about what's happening the whole time. This is put your popcorn down and pay attention type of movie. And I think at the right time in the right setting, or if you're in the right mood, those can be absolutely perfect. And I think this is a great representation of that type of movie. But again, that is a very a specific niche that not a lot of people enjoy. I mean, a lot of people do, but I don't know. It, it's up to you. You're listening. If this sounds like you, maybe it's something you should check out. If you're in the mood for a popcorn movie to just be entertained mindlessly, this is not it. Um, I think it was a really well done movie, and I am going to be following like a crazy stalker David Lowry's career yeah. because the dude doesn't miss. And the thing that he does so well as a director is creates atmosphere with lighting and with score and with just overall feel, just the atmosphere that he can create in scenes is so skillfully executed. Um, I will just eat his movies up with a spoon, I tell you what. So um, really like this movie. Was, was a really big fan. It was everything I wanted it to be. 
uh, I want to watch it again, honestly. I do too. And I think it's one of those movies that definitely demands a rewatch. I'll say off the bat that I'm, I'm somebody who maybe at one point shamelessly, but, but these days or, or, or shamefully maybe in the past, but nowadays I embrace it. Like I'm a sucker for a, a movie that I can go into and be like, this is going to make me think, and I'm going to puzzle through it. Like I've, I've kind of gotten a little cocky about Tenet because I've spent so much time trying to work it out. <laughs> like I, I know that about myself, like, and, and some people might call that pretension, but I, I really do feel like I love little puzzles and in I, you and I chatted briefly and I kind of gave you a nod about like expectations for this movie. And I think I was just projecting because I had expectations and it was like, well, this is going to be a classic sort of sword and sorcery type fantasy movie. And it's, it's definitely not. But once I got on board with kind of what I think it was, I found myself liking it a lot more, but to your last point, like I do need to see it again because it's so steeped in mythology and symbolism. And, and we can get into that. Certainly we will more in the danger zone, but, um, to touch on your point about sort of like the difference between a thinker and a popcorn movie, I heard it described really well. And I wish I could think of where I heard this, but it was today as I was driving um, from the Bay area and the way they described sort of these two types of movies were like one, one of them is like a seven o'clock film and one's a nine o'clock film, which is to say like one's a movie, the nine o'clock that you put on kind of right before bed and you kind of drift off to sleep, maybe not even having finished it. And then you can just go to bed and it kind of passes the time and it sort of happens to you. It's like pure mm-hmm. escapism. And then there's like the seven o'clock movie where you go and like, you might need a little while to like unpack it with friends or think about it. And this is by anybody's account, very much a seven o'clock film. Like there's just so much that happens and it is so ambiguous. And where I'll start talking about my feelings is that I do think this still works as a quest film and I, and I do like it. Um, the whole movie sort of hinges on a thing that is very easy to miss in the beginning, which is part of the green Knight's sort of speech in his challenge. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of lays out all these rules and he mentions, and I think this is how he says it too. the, uh, the, the five sort of knightly virtues. You can see that King Arthur is wearing a little a pendant that's got five stars. I think there's even like an aerial shot of something being laid out with five stars. And it's all representative of these five knightly virtues. Of course, I did my research. Those virtues are generosity, courtesy, chastity, uh, friendship, and piety. And the idea of being a knight is sort of embodying these five virtues. And the way the movie opens with with Gawain is like he's the least knightly kid ever. Like he's not celebrating Christmas with his royalty family. Like he's sleeping with prostitutes and drinking. And for some reason he has it in his brain. He's like, well, I'm going to be a knight no matter what. And it's all about like him being able or not being able to to embody what it is to become a knight. And I think the rest of what happens in the movie are just various examples, various tests rather, which is totally in line with a quest movie. Um, of those virtues. And we can probably get into like the differences because I also did research on the original 14th century poem of the differences between the poem and the movie and how the screen version of Gawain Gawain lives up or doesn't to sort of the idea of him throughout history. Um, But we'll get into all that later. I just want to say for the most part, I really, really liked it. It was frustrating to me because again, coming in with like the, the hoity toityness, like I, I love artsy movies. Like I'm going to pick this thing apart. It's a very challenging film. There's so much that can be left to interpretation, which I actually like, but it is tough. Um, so I, like you would love to rewatch this maybe even together. My friend could be a lot of fun. Um, yep. but Dev Patel's great. Um, Ralph yeah. Ines, who voices the green Knight, He's got like, he was, if you don't know the name, he was, um, in game of Thrones, he voiced the father in the witch. He's got like this gritty, like just really deep kind of 
it's perfect for stuff like this. Like he's great hundreds of years ago when he plays characters. Like, I just feel like everyone spoke like that back then. Like they didn't ever have cough drops. So they would just like talk like that. Cause he got, you know, the plague one time and lived like, that's how he sounds. You know, you know, this, this isn't his first, uh, Arthurian role either. I did not know that. What else has he been in? He, he played one of the, uh, he was the right hand to the villain. I believe it was in King Arthur with, um, Clive Owen. Oh, that's a great example of a King Arthur movie that goes like the realism route. Um, yeah, I love that movie, by the way. I did too with, yeah, Clive Owen and, um, you know who else is in those? Uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Actually, a yeah, lot of people he, were in that. He was, uh, Lancelot. He had a hawk. He yeah. Was so he cool. wasn't Lancelot. He was, uh, no, but he was somebody. <laughs> yeah. I want to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned. Sure. Uh, one is the time to watch this and the other yeah. was rewatching and expectations. So first off, I was having a conversation today about this movie and I was talking to shout out to Andy. He always gets brought up in episodes. Nice. It's ridiculous. Is he paying you um, for this? Is no, because you, to- <laughs> you do yeah. it a lot. He's like, here's here's five dollars. <laughs> get me on the show. Yeah. No, uh, we were. He was asking if it was worth a watch, and I was describing it to him. And he was actually um, took classes and like went to like art school for a little bit. So he had a, a film class nice. in it, and we talked a little bit about art films and stuff. And he said, oh, "Okay, so that's like a go during the day on my day off show, yeah. episode showing, not a after work showing." And I was like, "That is so true, totally. because." Um, I'll tell you a story, maybe in the danger zone about my viewing experience. Uh, but anyways, the other thing was, um, expectations. I think I've, I always try and have zero. And then if my brain needs to fire into fifth gear, I think that's exhilarating. I love being surprised by a movie. Yeah. So I try and always just stay at zero. That's why I don't, read reviews before we record. I don't mm-hmm. listen to podcasts about movies. I try and, you know, before we record it and before I see it, because I want my brain to formulate my perspective. And I just, I love that. Just being surprised that a movie is making me think as hard as this one did and made me sit up in my seat and realize like, I need to not have my feet yeah. up, need to yeah. not get too relaxed. I need to like absorb this and, uh, I really like that. So I agree with your your expectations. I think mine were on the low end. Yours were on the high end. And I think we both ended up absorbing this movie somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I'm, I'm really stuck, man. I think Arthurian tales as they appear in film and, and literature, though I'm admittedly less familiar with that side of things, do tend to be sort of the way that we see things portrayed about knighthood in general. Like there's like knights in shining armor and like chivalry's huge. And I loved seeing kind of the gritty... It's like, granted, this isn't like a realist kind of movie, but there are, there are moments like walking through castles and like there's mud and it's gloomy. Like I like that kind of environment that Lowry created in this movie. It was awesome. Um, and aside from that, just like, yeah, the various ways in which you can read this movie. I think, I don't know if you use the term coming of age film. Did you? No. Well, it could be read that way. Like, uh, uh self-discovery, self-discovery journey of sure. self-discovery, right. right. And which is, yeah, essentially like coming of age. Like he's, he's clearly, uh, Gawain is clearly not living up to many people's expectations including possibly his own. Yeah. And, and basically, and I'll make the case for this more when I can talk about spoilers, but his mother kind of sets him on this quest in a lot of ways. Cause she's like, just, you can go be better. And we'll unpack some of these characters. Like his, his mother plays, uh, Morgan, Morgan Le Fay was like many names over the course of, literary history. Um, but she's not really a fan of King Arthur. 
and she's played like really good figures and kind of bad. So we'll kind of unpack sort of who everybody is in this movie. Cause they don't spend a lot of time like Merlin's in this movie, but he mm-hmm. kind of just gets a look in his eyes where I think he just kind of shakes his head at King Arthur over something at one point. Like it's not, Again, like I hate to come back to my own writing, but it's not your grandma's King Arthur tale. Like it's it's yeah. a different movie altogether. And in that sense, expectations are not. I think you and I were both relying a bit and counting on David Lowry to do something we weren't expecting. Like just just let it happen to us. And in, yeah. in that respect, I think I think he delivered. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want. I mean, part of the reason we do this show is so we can absorb fresh ideas and beautiful new art and see things we've never seen before. And this is a prime example of, of a movie that reminds me why we do this show and how much fun it is to talk about it and uh, just see things like this, you know, that maybe I wouldn't have seen otherwise, or I wouldn't have been excited, you know, last year to see if I wasn't so steeped in this, you know, cinema culture and like, trying to stay relevant and knowing what's coming. And then also just like having a history with a director is something I never thought I'd have before I started this podcast. It was like, uh, yeah, like I'm stoked on a David Lowry movie and like, you know, five years ago, who the hell is David Lowry? Sure. I mean, five years ago, he hasn't made this. He hasn't made the old man and the gun. He, I don't think he's even made Pete's dragon five years ago, much less a ghost story. So fair enough. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun sort of keeping up with a modern director and kind of experiencing it in real time. Yeah, and I definitely want to rewatch this um, in a different headspace. I went into sure. it um, borderline depressed, little anxiety, just kind oh. of had like a rough couple days, and then also feeling very existential about the world in, <laughs> in general, yeah. Um, yeah. as is customary for being alive in 2021. Yeah, you shouldn't see a um, David Lowry movie in that headspace. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of hard not to just in this day and age. Yeah, um, sure. You know, so I was looking at it through the lens of like Gawain's just trying to figure out what the point is. Like, Mm -hmm. why are we doing any of this? What's the point? And I, it worked though to just go into this with like existential dread. Right. It's like, oh my God. Yes. Gawain, I'm with you, dude. Like, what even is honor? What's a quest? Why are we here? What's going on? Dude, I loved it, man. Yeah. Like, I wasn't going to bring up themes now, but what you're describing is so perfect. Like, the Green Knight is in, in the film, he sort of, if you haven't seen it, looks a bit like, a human sized ish ent from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. He's totally tree ish um, mm-hmm. to the point that people have compared him visually to the green man, which is sort of a figure in, in Wiccan culture that's been throughout multiple cultures throughout the years, but it's kind of stuck around. And the green man is sort of a symbol of, of nature and the cycle of life and death and rebirth. Um, so in one sense, you could kind of look at this challenge that the green uh, knight offers to the Knights of the round table as kind of this metaphor for like the cycle of, of man versus nature. And this comes up later in a, in a monologue from Alicia Vikander's character later in the show or in the movie. Um, but like, it's sort of this, no matter what humans do, like nature's going to end up on top. And like, to some extent, what you're doing might be pointless. So I, I almost take back what I said, like maybe you were in the exact right headspace going into this movie <laughs> to accept a, if not the message of the film. Well, all right. Who knows? But I think Bully for now, for me. let's uh, let's rate it out of 10. We can spoil it in the danger zone. But for now, yeah, Johnny Summers, uh, out of 10, The Green Knight, what you got? Well, out of 10, for me, it's a 9.1. Nice. Very high rating, my friend. Very high. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, and I, I'm really happy I saw it, you know, 24 hours ago. It definitely needed some time to marinate in my brain and really just be dwelt upon. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's, 
quickly top movies of the year for me visually it's my number one movie of the year and uh yeah overall absolutely loved it fair enough for me it's a nine with an asterisk that upon a rewatch or two or three because it is so nice just to look at i might watch it many a time uh it might become a 10 so the green knight 9.19 great across the board and once again you have been listening to fresh hop cinema the green knight is now probably in a theater near you if you get the chance to see it once twice or thrice and have thoughts of your own find us on social media at fresh hop cinema or send an email to fhccast at gmail.com. Yeah, or do it the old-fashioned way and head over to our website, freshhopcinema.com. You're going to find movie reviews, beer reviews, and podcast episodes going all the way back to our inception in 2016. To our KZFR listeners, the full-length version of today's conversation will be available tomorrow, bright and early, 7 a.m., wherever you get your podcasts. And to everyone else... We're going to be right back to talk themes, talk motifs, and talk, most importantly, spoilers for The Green Knight in the Danger Zone, so don't go anywhere. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Danger Zone. Welcome to The Danger Zone, the portion of the show where, normally I'd say where we all just pretend like we've all seen the movie, which is kind of true, but I think in the case of this film, we'll have to unpack some stuff anyways. So just, I suppose, spoiler alert for The Green Knight, and here we go. Which, I mean, where do you want to start? I don't know what we're going to start with. Well, man, what are, I mean, this movie was a lot to soak in and I don't know what my favorite part is, Mm. but I think there, there was a lot. I would love to like know more about his mom's backstory. Sure. Just being, being a witch. Like she's obviously a witch. Like they, they made the green knight appear and like, you know, one could even say that the whole purpose of this movie is his mom giving him a chance to make more of himself. 100%. And I thought that immediately. I'm like, where is she all doing all this because she knows that he will step up to like go after this dude, right. you know? And I thought that was interesting. And then she obviously voiced the Fox when the Fox started to talk. Oh, I didn't um, actually catch that, but yeah, fair enough. Yeah. There was just so much, man. Like I for sure want to watch this again. Like, I see you and me sitting down with like a Chemex of coffee yeah. at like 10 a.m. on a Saturday and like <laughs> just really just nerding out on this movie. Don't don't yank on my my protection sash like that. That's <laughs> I would love I would love to do that. Um let me before I lose lose the thread, let me uh, address some of these. Okay, his mother. Um again, her her name traditionally has been uh, Morgan Le Fay. Um yeah. a lot of this stuff comes from French literature and, and some Celtic culture and Gaelic stuff and, and Anglo-Saxon stuff over the years. But the, the gist of her deal is that she was trained as an apprentice of the wizard Merlin. So it gets dicey because they do bring in some of this like pagan Wiccan stuff, but I believe the preferred phrase is a sorceress. She's a sorceress. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the half sister of King Arthur. She's not a fan of him. There's been many a time where she's tried to dethrone him in this case, her son is the next in line because Arthur and Guinevere have no children. So the thought would be, branching off what you're saying, is like her kind of shoving him out of the nest, is like he is going to be king one day and he's fucking this up pretty bad. So yeah. he's got he's to gotta go become a knight. And this we can get into like who she was kind of along his quest. Like you mentioned the fox, which I'll talk about in a second. But like she's clearly the catalyst for this. Like they literally summon him with magic, the green knight. Um, yeah. And she has to know, I, I assume, like the 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 stakes of the game. Like, you, I'm, you can hit me, but I'm going to hit you back in a year the exact same way. And like, that's just all ego. 
from Gawain. He's like, I'm going to cut your head off because like that's what knights do. And I'm, although it's not what knights do because like that's super cowardly and not chivalrous. Like you don't right? cut the head off an unarmed dude. Whatever. That's yielding. Yeah. But he's like, ah, remember what happens this Christmas day. Whatever. So like, so he's going to get his head cut off and we can talk about that in a minute. But, but to your point about like her voicing the fox, when I saw the fox, I'm, I'm an American lad. Foxes in American folklore and storytelling sort of represent like tricksters and like, don't listen to the fox. Like don't, fo- no swiping, swiper. They're not good. Right. But Celtic folklore consider foxes to be like spirit guides, which is-, is I was going to say, they're like guides, yeah. Yeah, which is one interpretation. But if you go even further into Arthurian legend, there's this recurring character in a lot of these stories called the, uh, the questing beast or uh, or the beast uh, glatissant, which is a hybrid animal. It's like part snake and leopard and lion, but it gets its name from the French word glapissant, which is a word for the barking or yelping, especially of a small dog or fox. What? So it could totally represent what you're talking about. It could be- another manifestation of his mother on this journey. But it could also represent some like internal, like doubt about himself. Like David Lowry was saying in an interview, um, and I'm not sure if it's the one I sent you or something I read, but he was saying when he first read this poem, I think back in college or something, he kind of glazed over it and he revisited it and started adapting it for the screen and just kind of started writing about his own relationship with his mother. Like she was pushing him out of the house. Like he stayed way too long, like sort of a failure to launch kind of syndrome. Um, so from, from, from one perspective, you could read this whole film as almost like a disappointed mother being like, you gotta, you gotta get out of here. Like, and I'll help you obviously along the way, but like, you've got to go, which is the most witchy way possible. Right. Like, (laughs) um, so we should probably, can we briefly then also, if I may say this, like, I think the blindfolded woman in the castle is also his mom. The one that didn't say anything, you know, the creepy woman. Yeah, could have been. The only other person that gets blindfolded like that is his mother in the beginning. So if we're yeah. if we're hitching our wagon to this horse of an idea that his mother is with him throughout this journey because of, you know, witchcraft, then I think mm-hmm. sure, why not? It could totally be that that blind old woman. Yeah, it's very possible. Um, I think that's everything you addressed. I would like to start really briefly, kind of talking about these quest points, which again are the five knightly virtues. Um, yeah. And have you formulated any thoughts on how they interact with the plot of this movie? I think they are the plot of the movie. Oh, wow. And and yeah, so I'll lay it all out for you if you'd uh, be yeah, so kind dude, as to hit, listen. Come on, hit me. This is this is fucking fascinating. I'm in. So in in, in the poem, there's there's like art that's been associated. Nobody knows who effing wrote this poem, by the way. Like it's unclear. I was going to say. No one knows. And that's, it's so wild and so fun to me to think like who, like it's one of the more prominent Arthurian legends. Like everybody reads it if you go to like, if you major in literature, chances are you've read this poem. I have not, but I almost did. And I think it was too long for me. It was like many, many, many pages of scrolls, but there's artwork that people have done. And on, I'm going to say Gawain, cause that's what's in my brain. In Gawain's shield, there's that pentangle. It's that five pointed star that are, is worn by Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table and seen throughout the movie. And again, it's the five knightly virtues, generosity, courtesy, chastity, friendship slash fellowship and, and piety. And these are literally just laid out throughout the movie. His first, and we're going to call them challenges or tests. And his first test is, is that of generosity. He runs into these bandits or this one bandit played by, a, I think his name's Barry Keoghan, which he kid always, always puts me off. I don't know if it's killing of a sacred deer or anything else I've seen him in, but he's a trickster. And I know that I need to watch that movie. It's so you talk to shout out Jared, Jared. It's very, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird movie, man. 
Uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, very strange. Yeah, he does that. Yeah. So, so Gawain's riding through this battlefield. This bandit shows up. He, we don't know he's a bandit. He's a kid that's lost his brother. And then Gawain's like, he's pilfering. He I was pilfering. Well, he's looking for his brother's dead body, but also he pilfering. Was also, yeah, he was also pilfering. Like, his first sentence was like, do you want a share of this? That's true. Times are tough. You got to, you got to get goods where you can find them. I guess. Get it where you can get it, man. Um, anyways, Gawain is at no point like, I'm so sorry for your dead family. Um, where can I go to find the green chapel? And dude's like, go that way through the forest. And then Gawain's like, all right, I'm out of here, which is super unknightly. What you should do is be like, ah, thank you for your service, young peasant. Here's a, 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 a coin purse full of gold. He yeah, let me help that. you look for your brother. Right. So none of that. Very unchivalrous. As a result, he obviously gets jumped, tied up, whatever. Failed his generosity test. He moves on. He is so tired and beat down. He goes into this old house. He just sleeps in somebody's bed, which is very uncourteous, as you might have guessed. And he, yeah, meets, rude. he meets Winifred, or, or rather the ghost of Winifred, who, by the way, is based on St. Winifred, who in history was decapitated by a dude who was uh, trying to suit her, was seeking her affections. Um, and instead of being with him, she's like, I'm going to be a nun. And then he cuts her head off. So that's where that's from in history. Fun fact. Huh. Okay. Um, so then she's like, please, sir, can you go get my head? This dick bag threw it in the lake. And he's like, <laughs> what am I going to get in return? Discourteous. You failed the courtesy test. Not generous at all. Yeah. Um, clearly, we can get to the chastity thing. I think for mm -hmm. a minute, like once he gets to the castle, he's like trying to resist Alicia Vikander, sort of her her advances. He does not. He does not resist them. He got seduced pretty hard. So yep. chastity, done. You're not a knight there either. Then you got the the virtue she, of- She even said that though. Yeah, right. He's getting called yeah. on some of this. Well, so did, so did Winifred's ghost. She was like, why would you even ask me that? Why would you ask what I can get in return? And then even even the bandit, Barry Keoghan's character is like- like, you're not going to give me more than this. You're going to give me, like, one coin. Like, everyone's calling him on his shit. And he's like, I'm going on my merry way. Because uh, he's an egotistical, like, child who just wants to be called a knight. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in the movie where Joel Edgerton's character, the lord of the castle that he goes into, is like, I'm, I'm going hunting. And I'll give you whatever I get on my hunt. But you must give me whatever you get in my house. Um, when he's like, what am I going to get in your house? And then his, his the lady, Alicia Vikander's second character, gives him that safety girdle. And also uh, a bit of an, seduction. An orgasm? <laughs> sure. Um, which makes the scene where Joel Edgerton kisses him on the face make way more sense. It's like, you got it, mm -hmm. you got that in my house. Now you have to give it back to me. So let's hop over behind this giant dead animal. Then you can take the animal. Yeah. I'll take my my loins and we'll go. Yeah. He does not. I'm like, runs the away. whole time there he's in that house, I'm like, are these like medieval swingers? Right. <laughs> it does seem like that. Um, yeah. But he like he doesn't he doesn't give him a handy and he doesn't give him the the sash so he's like no friendship denied and then Rude. like the final the final virtue is like the piety thing and if we're looking at the green knight as representative of nature or honor or anything like the whole point is for him to go and just let him cut his head off and he doesn't he flinches he resists he runs and like he also keeps that sash on his his safety sash which is like the ultimate symbol of cowardice. He's like, he knows he probably can't get hurt, but it's also a violation well, of the agreement he made. Yeah. Well, he didn't run. In his mind, he runs. Right, that whole right. sequence was a flashback. You're right. Yeah, that's true. Um, in the poem, Gawain even calls that sash, I think it was, let me read the quote, uh, a reminder of deceit and the stains and filth of the flesh, which in, in the movie does kind of check out filth of the flesh, yeah. though slightly different. It was probably stained. 
Yeah. Um, anyways, so all this happens. He flinches. We get the whole uh, flash forward montage we can talk about. But at the very end, he finally accepts his fate and in a sense kind of earns his honor. And I do obviously want to talk about the ending of the film, like how you interpreted it. What do you think happened? Um, do we need to, or rather, would you like to unpack the flash forward that happens? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, it's easy to explain really. It was just, he saw what his life would be like if he ran away dishonorably. Yeah. But then pretended to be honorable. Like, yeah, I will still become knighted. Why not? Yeah. Everything was just shaded gray and sad and just not as good as it should have been. And he had this, like, his hair was gray immediately, and he had just, like, obvious shame, you know? And it was, sure. what would happen if he let the dude strike the blow without taking the protection belt off? Or just running. You know? Yeah, and not letting him do it. Well, no, because at the, at the end of his flash forward, he's like, he took the belt off, oh, right. and his head just fell off. So he's like, this is option A. I let him oh, strike that's right. me. You're right, you're right. And then I just bail and live my life, and... Eventually, when I know I'm fucked and the invading armies are going to burn my castle down, I just take the belt off. It's the the zip line to the netherworld, and my head falls off. And and then we flash back to him, and he's like, you know what? No, hold on. I have to take this belt off. And he said, I'm ready. Right. And I thought that was really cool. That was like the most honorable thing that he could have done in that situation. Totally. And after your you know, elaboration on the five points of knighthood. I feel like it was maybe the only thing he did in this movie honorably. Dude, which is so funny because in the poem, as we all know at this point, I'm sure we've all, everybody's paused it and read it. That's the only thing in, <laughs> in the poem that he does, uh, that he doesn't, uh, does do right away. He does. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that right. He fulfills all of the other virtues. And and when he re- reaches the green knight, he does not. That's how I should say it. So so he flipped it. Lowry flipped it. Yeah, and that whole flash forward thing does not happen in the poem. That was an also Lowry edition, which makes total sense when you think about how obsessed Lowry is with like the passage of time. I'm specifically referring to a ghost story. Like, yeah, he does seem to have sort of a weird obsession with like legacy and what happens when we're dead and like, do we even die? That kind of thing. Which, did you make anything of like the skeleton flash forward or did you just chalk it forward or chalk it up to like him eating potentially druggy mushrooms? Mm, he didn't eat the mushrooms till way later. So okay. I felt like that was maybe just like a him, the way that the whole thing spun too, it was very symbolic of the the wheels that they were using in the puppet show yeah, sure. to display the passing of time. Sure. The camera did the same spinning thing. So it was obviously uh, an allusion to time. Uh, and I feel like it was a, just a, a metaphor for like, this is what's going to happen if you just give up right now and just lay down and die. Okay, that's actually really nice. I like that. Can I say, um, back to the ending for a moment, I think there's there's probably two to three ways to read the ending. Um, and I'd like to say that David Lowry has specifically not answered the question. He said, quote, my hope is that you leave with a smile on your face and the feeling that it's truly a happy ending. I wanted there to be a sense that this character has arrived at the place he needs to be in, regardless of what happens to him after the film cuts to black. But I didn't want to impose my own idea because it, it doesn't matter. He's going to die someday. Maybe he got his head chopped off in that moment. Maybe he dies of old age later in life, but he will die. We all die. Which I think is a really interesting way to look at it because like in the grand scheme of things, that's probably true. Like, And that's sort of Gawain's whole thing is like, does he want to die as an honorable knight or does he want to live out what he has seen in his brain as like a, a, a shameful, dishonorable life that isn't going to go well, but he gets to live. Yeah. It's an interesting concept. 
But how did it you really is. how did you read the ending? Like what do you what do you think happened when it because it cuts to black after the Green Knight finally goes, All right, little knight, now off with your head, and then it cuts to black. But I think he chopped his head off. And I think he died an honorable death, which is the probably the most knightly thing a knight or an aspiring knight could do was be to die with honor. I think that's a totally valid way of reading the ending. I don't want to believe that. I think, <laughs> I, you know, like I think he proved himself. Like if, I don't know, cause then it's like, is his mom sending him to die? Like, was that the whole point of this? Uh, normally I'd say like, I think I'm overthinking it, but again, this is the kind of movie that you should overthink. So I'm inclined to think that we cut to black because he lets him go. Like he's fine. He's proven himself. He was only going to cut off his head if he like really wouldn't accept it. Like he was going to die. He's going to cut his head off because he was dishonorable, but he like finally owned his shame. He was like, okay, I'm ready. And I think then he went and lived a better life. And that's what his mother was wanting all along. Like he, he got to go back and be a good King and didn't destroy his empire and have his son die in battle and all this stuff. Like I, that's how I want to read it. And I think the evidence supports that reading. I don't know if I'm right. I don't think there is a right, but I do think you can read it that way. Well, I would say that I feel like his mother's whole motivation for, you know, being the impetus for this quest beginning mm -hmm. is to get her son to choose a path, any path, sure. pick a path for fuck's sakes, <laughs> get on a path. You're fucking drunk every morning, man. You got to do something. Just, you know, seriously, pick a path because yeah, everything yeah. that happened was his choice. The, the blow that he threw was his choice. The quest to fulfill his obligation after throwing that blow was, yeah, yeah. was his choice. He could have, you know, quit at any time. I think his mom maybe just wanted to see him start his life and choose a path and commit to something. And whether that meant his own demise, at least he would have had some purpose and some meaning in life, even if it was shortened by the decisions that he made. Yeah, you also get the vibe. I mean, we're way back in time at this point. Like, people didn't live very long. I've kind of got the yeah, vibe. He, he maybe was, had 10 good years like, left. Yeah, he was basically at the finish line. He's like, well, you might as well go out with a bang. Also, very much in line with the literary version of Morgan Le Fay. Like, she doesn't like Arthur. And I, I believe to some extent this sorceress of evil version would be like, okay, if, if my son dies and then I can somehow kill King Arthur, maybe I will have the throne. That could, that could work possible. too. Like, it's a much darker reading of it all. But yeah. maybe, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't be out of pocket to think that for this movie. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of like man versus, not even man versus nature, man sort of killing nature throughout this film. Like when, when Gawain's riding away from the city, like there's a whole sort of logger camp he goes through. I don't mean mm -hmm. in the beer sense. I mean, double G. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't logging. know what a logger camp is, but I'm going to that camp. Um, a logging camp. Yeah, a logging camp, sure. And, and like, they're destroying nature. And like, there's a few of those nods throughout. And I like that too. Like coming back to the sort of cyclical reading of the green Knight as the green man representing the cycle of like life, death and rebirth. And like, at one point, like he's nature. If, if the green Knight represents nature, he walks into this hall and is like, strike a blow. But in the future, I will, I will strike that blow back. Like, like man harvests nature, nature harvests man. And that's the part that kind of coincides with the monologue by Alicia Vikander in the castle. She's basically like, look, you idiot, screw your chivalry and your honor. Like it doesn't matter. Nature is going to overtake everything. Like I know green is the color of like nature and, and honor and whatever. Like it's also the color of rot and you should keep that in mind, mm -hmm. which is a much darker reading. It's like, that's fucking true too. Well, yeah. And I think 
to the point of of the Green Knight being, you know, very akin to, if not being, you know, a physical manifestation of the Green Man. Yeah, I mean, he lived, died, and lived again within the first five minutes of him being on screen. Right, and then the cycle that just scene starts when over. He, dude, yeah, the scene when he picked his head up and held it out, and his head talked was mm-hmm. so cool. What was the deal with your screening? Oh, yeah, <laughs> there was. The- <laughs> Um, there was, there was sleeping, there yeah. was snoring happening. Yeah. Um, and I went down to wake the person up. You did. I, I, I couldn't do it. Oh, um, okay. Because they were with, a, it was a group of like four and they were all in the handicap section and they were all like obviously special needs. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and they had, you know, their handler there. There was like a responsible person that obviously brought them to the movies. Is that the word? And. I don't know. I don't think that's the word, man. Care, caretaker? I don't know. Celebrities have handlers. I'm just giving, giving oh, these true. guys All right. a lot of credit. All right, fair enough. You know, rock stars, they need handlers to get them from A to B. I think intention's the most important thing, and yours seems pure. Yeah, no. They had somebody taking care of them, a caretaker, a chauffeur, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, they were sitting with them, and I was like, well, if, if they didn't feel like waking them up, maybe this is the most at peace this guy's been all day. Like, yeah, let him have it. So didn't wake him up, let him sleep. But he was full on like head back, arm dangling into the aisle, just sawing logs. Yeah, that's great. And it was it was very <laughs> pure. And I, I it was a deep and hopefully fulfilling sleep. So I couldn't wake him up. Not to hang too many hats on this tangent, but but could we please make sawing logs a phrase for drinking a ton of loggers like blacking yes. out on loggers? <laughs> Dude, I'm into like, it. I was sawing logs that night. I love it. Okay. I'm into that. I told you, I think, because because we talked about this briefly, there was a point where somebody fell asleep in a screening that I saw years ago, and I think it was like some World War II movie, and it was me and this old dude. He had to be like, he had to be like 130, and he was just, like, he fell asleep like 20 minutes in, and I was eating my pretzel bites, and I just kind of went up to him, and I, I, I grasped his shoulder gently, and he kind of like, you know, kind of shook, and I was like, hey, I think you might have fallen asleep. Do you need me to catch you up on what happened? No, and he said, "Oh, it's okay. I got it." Thing. It was like eleven a.m. on a Tuesday. Like maybe he was just going there for a nap because it was a hundred degrees out. But you know, that is the sweetest possible way to wake an old man up. Intention in a movie. is everything. Is my point. it really is, man? Hundred percent. Um, I don't know that I have too much more on this movie. I'm looking forward to watching it again. Um, what do you think of the Giants? They were like super unexpected and abstract and weird but they were cool for when they were in it. This is my last little tidbit on sort of research I've done. Giants in, because there's like all this different mythology. Some is Celtic, some is Germanic, some is, in this case, Norse. In Norse mythology, giants represent chaos. And, and this is the <laughs> important part, forces of nature. So there's like this scene where the giant, because because Gawain's just like, can you carry me across the, the ca- you know, the chasm so I don't have to walk, which is also super like, you're so lame, dude. That's like the least yeah. night, like just ride a horse or something, whatever. Yeah. So the giant like reaches out. doesn't seem like it's about to lift him up. It seems like it's about to crush him. And then uh, Gawain flinches like he flinches later uh, with the green knight. And it's like so clear he isn't ready to accept nature or, or at least like the nature of his fate, you know, like there's these mm-hmm. like, nods to nature and sort of the inevitability of humanity. And like, he just is every single stop. Like, nope, nope, nope. I'm a knight. I'm awesome. I'm scared, but I'm cool. Don't focus on me. Unless you're knighting me, then focus all of your attention on me all the time. Yep, exactly. Honor will prevail. Yeah. Yeah. Which like is also, to, yeah, it's a nice You want to root version. for him. Yeah. 
Now you go. <laughs> I said, like, you want to root for him, but the whole time you're like, yeah, you're just kind of a doucher, bud. That's that's another thing that Lowry said in, in, in an interview. He was like, when I was casting this character, like, I knew the character, like, we're kind of rewriting Gawain to be sort of a loser, like a pathetic kind of someone you probably wouldn't root for. So I have to cast somebody who is sort of going to subvert that expectation. Like, you cast Dev Patel, who, like, everyone roots for. He's the best. I've been rooting for him since the moment Lion ended. Yeah, I was. I think my first exposure to him was the newsroom. Okay, he's so good. Um, I and need it to watch like, that series. Oh man, we did this years ago when we talked about our top five uh, on it's, on Patreon, our top five TV series. It's my number one or two, I think. That's number. Wow, is it that high? Yeah, it's great. It's great. Jesus, that's another list in the long lines of ways that I've disappointed you. <laughs> I wish I could add it to the letterbox list, but I I can't because it doesn't do TV shows. You might. There's some series on there. Yeah, it's true. I guess I'll check it out. Yeah, try try to add it to the list of my disappointment. I don't know why I'm encouraging this. I just added pig to it. Don't, man. We'll I'm see if watch you it. then watch it. It oh. shouldn't be on the list already. Do you have anything else on the Green Knight? Because I just remembered you have another movie we got to talk about today. Yeah, and we're getting close to time. No, yeah, I don't, are. man. <laughs> it's gonna be I'm a long good. one. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Then uh again, those are our thoughts on the Green Knight. If you get a chance to see it, please let us know what you think. There's clearly many a way to read this film. I think all of them valid, or most of them valid. Uh, at least. And we want to hear your thoughts. So in the meantime, Johnny Summers, what do you think? Beer number two? Uh, let's do it. What is even beer number two, man? Beer number two. Before we get there, I'll tell you. But wait, I have to say, a lot of movies, there's a lot of research involved. Doesn't always benefit the episode. I think the research that you did for this episode with the <laughs> mythology and all that shit, like... Yeah. I don't know if it made it better for the listeners, but it way made it way better for me. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So Agreed. that's why I do it. Thank you for that. You're that welcome. was that was tremendous. That made this episode go from like a, a B minus to an A plus. Oh, nice, man. That was fucking awesome. Let's see if we can uh keep it going through the end. That's right. Okay. Hazatron is our second beer from Original Pattern Brewing out of Oakland. It's a hazy IPA. At 6.9%, same exact ABV as our first beer. You're going to be getting some limes, some papaya, peach, and nectarine. This beer features New Zealand Wakatu, nice. Mosaic, and Centennial, Centennial hops. Why is Centennial the word that I fuck up in that sentence? <laughs> Put all your energy into Wakatu. I did, man. I wakatu too hard. So, yeah, there's not a lot of info online about this beer other yeah. than that. So that's what we're working with. It's a, a hazy IPA. So... Uh, I like the can quite a bit, just like their last one. It's very geometric, lots of, of plus signs just everywhere, different shading, very geometric and puzzle like. You know those uh, really, you know those sketches where it's like it's it's like kind of a 3D sketch. It's like how many squares are in this picture? It's like mm-hmm. and you're like 16. They're like, no, it was 43. Those you're like, what? There's like a billion on this can. They're all pink, like different shades of pink. It's very, it's very eye grabby. There's the pink in the background, and then the the label itself with uh, the words on it is almost, almost a darker lime green, bordering on like Mountain Dew slash cyclist reflective yellow. Yeah, super neon yellow. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, they have really good can art. I like their their graphic design team. Whoever's doing their labels is doing a really good job. Maybe we can find out if they're if you guys are listening. By the way, let us know. We want to give a shout out to that person next week. Um. So here's the elephant in the room, probably, is Hazy IPAs, Johnny Summers. Not your favorite thing in the past uh, year or two or three. So the the good news is you really loved that first beer. So I'm hoping that you love this. I'm almost, 
I'm almost as positive as I can be that I will really like this based on the offering of the first beer. So have mm -hmm. you tried it yet? Mm-hmm. Thoughts? It's really good. Nice. Why? I, I am pleasantly surprised. Uh, why? Immediately I can say that it is not too sweet. Uh, it is surprisingly refreshing for a hazy IPA. It's gorgeously um, refreshing. It's so refreshing. It has got this lovely body. It's not heavy. It's not thick. It's very, mm -hmm. very sippable. And like, I was not expecting this beer to be refreshing. Usually, I think it's pretty much universally agreed upon that hazy IPAs are not refreshing. Then nobody agrees on that. You're the only person that thinks that. <laughs> okay. That's just you. Well, and maybe like old beer drinkers. It's universally agreed upon by me. Okay. That the hazy IPAs are not refreshing. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, man, dude. this one super is. There's tons of melon, tons of nectarine. It's not cloyingly sweet. Whatever all the beers that I try that I don't like have, this one doesn't have that. And I don't know what that is. I would love to talk to a brewer. Like, I need to get some more cans of this and talk to my friends that make beer and be like, yeah. why is this one so much better than everyone that I've had? Because this one doesn't have that yucky, thick, hazy vibe to it it's like it's like almost like an unfiltered ipa but like juicy in the right ways but not sweet yeah Man. you're saying like an unfiltered ipa that emphasizes the hop the, the bitter hop qualities as opposed to sort of the the sweet uh juicy qualities right yeah holy shit this is the best hazy i've had all year yeah I, oh nice we'll get to that in a minute i can't speak to the technical side of things in terms of what you are saying, but I know that what you enjoy about this beer is kind of, yeah, it's that bitterness that is there. It's super refreshing. I would say more, here's what it is. If you got a scale and on one side you got refreshing and on the other side you have, cause like orange juice isn't always refreshing, but it is sweet and kind of nice. If you met in the middle, you got this really nice balance of bitterness and cause it is sweet, but it's not like you're saying overly sweet or anything like that. There's a decent amount of body. It reminds me almost of, like it's a super tropical taste. Like there's of course the papaya that they mentioned, but also like pineapple. It reminds me of sipping Mai Tais on a beach in not quite Hawaii, something more tropical than that. Something more foreign, something more exotic. Like Bali. Bali. I've never been, but this is what it feels like in my brain. I like it. Which is all to say, I also really like it. Um, yeah. I think one of the more interesting things that I'm noticing is the consistent use between these two beers of the Mosaic Hop and the Mosaic mm -hmm. Hop normally being a very outspoken fella at a party is quite subdued. And I have to attribute that to the New Zealand Wakatu hop. I was trying to do yeah. some research. Um, and all I'm seeing across my brief web search is that it's traditionally used. And it's only been around for, um, depending on who you ask, either 10 or possibly 15 to 20 years. Um, people tend to use it for lagers. Yeah. That's, that's what I found in my research. Total too. sense. Cause like, cause that's such right. a light beer. I, mm -hmm. I don't know, man. I think the criticism that you and I both share of uh, New England IPAs or unfiltered IPAs that we don't like is that they do tend to be way too heavy. And I attribute that to an overusage of either one wrong type of hop or like way too many hops. Like we've done beers on the show that have, I don't think I'm exaggerating, like eight different hop varieties. I'm like, just pick a good hop and let that sort of shine through the entire beer rather than like throwing everything in the kitchen sink into your, into your brewing device. Right. This is great. I'm I'm a huge fan of this. I like this almost more than the first. No shit. Um, picking nits or not yet? 
Uh, I don't. I don't like picking nits, man. If I had them, I'd already picked them. Okay, well, and I guess um, maybe we're at the rating stage of Hazatron. Shit, that's good. It's so good. This beer is absolutely surprising my pants off. It's unbelievably good. It's a little hot on the back end. It's a little hot on the back end. That's my only criticism. I wanted to squeeze that in before we rated it. Just a little hot. Yeah. I agree with that. A little. It's so slight. It's so slight. I mean, and just this style is always going to be too sweet for me. But objectively, for what it is, this is maybe my favorite representation of this style. This is up there with like the tree houses that I've had. I don't even think you like the tree houses that much. Like they're so sweet compared to this. There's some that I've had that I've really liked, but also a good one for me would also be the, help me the one from Colorado, Juicy Bits. Oh, sure. Well works. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean was a 10 across the board for us. Like that's, that's the bar for me because that beer is just hefty and hoppy, you know what I mean? That's that's what I rank all others against, quite frankly. Yeah, man, I actually forget um, that Juicy Bits is a New England. Like it's so right? so hop forward and 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 soft and still kind of sweet, but it's yeah, it's it's very hoppy that beer is. Yeah, very hoppy, which which I love it. Um, I, and I feel like this beer is more subtle on all points than Juicy Bits. It's more subtle yeah. on the juice. It's more subtle on the hops. This really does drink like a almost like a lager not in any other way than just drinkability like it doesn't taste like a lager so yeah yeah that drinkability factor of like man i could just crush this and i never say that about this style of beer Mm -mm. okay well for me it's a nine i do think that a little bit of because it is really light you're right like it's super crushable there is like a little bit of booziness on the back end that is not my favorite favorite thing but still a nine out of ten what do you got for hazatron it's a nine two nine point two my man all right that's a great rating that's up there with any hazy IPA that I've ever had, and especially where where my palate is at right now, this is fitting into the mold of if I'm gonna drink a hazy IPA, I want it to taste like this. I want it to be light and subtle and nuanced and just like a David Lowry movie. Fair. I'm not gonna try to actually do the math, but I will just say that I really love the uh, numerical polarity that this episode has created with last week. Arguably one of our our lowest rated weeks ever. Last week was dude. Last week sucked so much. Last week sucked, and like if you think about it this way, you and I each have ten points in three different categories, so a total of sixty possible points. If you want to think of it mm-hmm. that way, and we had to be like below fifteen. We had to be below ten last week. It was terrible. Yeah, and like I we're think my, doing great this week. <laughs> I think I thought the same thing because I was just bummed about last week. I'm like, we got it. We got to bounce back, baby. Yeah. My total score last week was like seven for both beers in the movie. It was, it was bad. It was a rough week, man. But here we are. Well, you know, stunning heights and crippling lows. I mean, that's what the world's about. That's what life's about. That's what this show's about. Fair. Okay. That is it for now for beer. But Johnny Summers, let me read you a description and you tell me what movie this is. Dr. Lily Houghton enlists the aid of wisecracking skipper, Frank Wolf to take her down the Amazon in his ramshackle boat. Together they search the ah, together they search for an ancient tree that holds the power to heal. A discovery that will change the future of medicine. What am I describing, sir, for two hundred dollars? You are describing for two hundred million dollars. Twenty twenty one Jungle Cruise from Disney Films. So what are you doing out here? There is a legend in the jungles of the Amazon 
of a tree that heals all. It could change the world. But if it gets into the wrong hands, it could awaken a great evil. I believe that the legend is real. Which it's not. And I'm going to find it. Which you want. And when I do, just imagine the lives that could be saved. I've been looking for this tree longer than anybody. I've tracked the legend to every village, every island. Nothing. You're searching for something that can't be found. But you've never had the key. Let's do something that's safe. Let's go see some elephants. There are no elephants in the Amazon, and I don't even like elephants. Lady, everybody likes elephants. Know this about the jungle. Everything that you see wants to kill you, and can. Careful. They can smell fear. I am not afraid. Oh, my gosh. Who brings a submarine to the Amazon? Foya! I don't got it. No, 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 no. For goodness sake, just leave me alone. That was a disaster. It didn't go the way I planned. Okay, again, that was a trailer for Jungle Cruise. This is a classic flick pick. It's a modern, current movie I didn't have a chance to see, but Johnny Summers did. So, Johnny, tell me about it. Jungle Cruise, should I see it? What's it about? Is it, wor- is it worth anybody else seeing? Give me the gist. <laughs> All right. So, you've listened to the podcast this far. I am going to say this movie is pretty much the exact opposite in every way. Uh, it's uh, the exact opposite of a green night. This is a nine o'clock in, movie. This is a nine o'clock. <laughs> this is like, this is like a started at 1030 movie. Dude, okay, just, let me tell you, um, literally oh, like, shoot. do you want to scroll Instagram for two hours and maybe giggle a little? Cool. This is it. Cool. This is it. Um, it's pure popcorn cheese fueled by Dwayne the Rock Johnson's terrible puns. Yeah. There was so many of them. That was his thing. He just made puns. And okay. it was just like, it was like a machine gun of puns. And at one point, a small girl's like, someone stop him. And he's like, no one can stop no me. No one. <laughs> he literally said, yeah. no one can stop yeah. me. It cool. was, um, it was silly. It was super entertaining. Uh, Emily Blunt somehow brings a higher level of acting even to a full-on popcorn and nachos Disney movie. She's so good. Like, she's still credible. Like, I still say that she had good acting in this. Like, yeah. she's still solid. Uh, and honestly, at the times when he needed to, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is solid. All right. Rock solid, even. He's not bad. Like, he's good in some stuff. Yeah, exactly. And they obviously wrote his character very, very silly, but he had depth to it. And I think overall it wasn't a bad performance. This movie exceeded my, albeit very low, expectations. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I, I started thinking this movie was going to be about a three. For me, out of 10, this movie ended up being like a seven, two. Like it was completely watchable. Okay. It was a Disney family movie, though. I don't expect much i mean don't expect much uh there was some things that i really liked i loved uh emily blunt 
and The Rock's chemistry. Sure. I thought they were really good together. Uh, there was an underlying tone of overcoming the time period's level of sexism to a female scientist. What is I the time was, period? Oh, God. What was probably like... It was during the Great War. I want to say 1916. Oh, okay. This is when this movie was set. Okay. Uh, it was like a... That's why they're... The the villain Jesse Plemons I was gonna in ask, this movie man what like can I just say like Jesse Plemons is in this who and, and Paul Giamatti shows up Edgar yeah. Ramirez but I, my yep. question about Jesse Plemons who plays according to Wikipedia Prince Joachim which is probably not right a deranged Joachim okay, Joachim an ambitious German aristocrat can, how is his accent. Oh, pretty all over the place, but delight, good. delightfully all over good. the place. <laughs> and his outfits were fabulous. I love Jesse Plummett so much. Yeah. Yeah. Full on, like, dude, his outfits were so over the top. It yeah. was ridiculous. Um, So it had a lot of comedy, a lot of gags, a lot of action. Visually, it was amazing. It was a gorgeous movie to look at. It had... All the colors of the Amazon, which in real life can be kind of muted and all blending into like earth tones and shades of green. When was the last time you were there? uh, Just on TV, man. Okay. (laughs) Never been to the Amazon. Just in real life. But like it's obvious that like they've punched up the colors. Okay. Like the flowers and the frogs. They've it's just vibrant, like almost neon. Sure. Uh to the point where it's it's obviously accentuated, but it's it just makes it way more visually pleasing sure um so i think this movie was really worth a watch it was good it was what you get when you throw 200 million dollars at a disney movie with emily blunt and the rock okay let me let me throw throw something at you because it's it's so topical i can't not this was directed by i don't know how jean colette sarah jean that's very nice colette sarah um who like you just said was given a high budget Disney film. And I will yeah. also point out, you haven't mentioned his name up until now. Now to tie this in, David Lowry was given a huge Disney budget to make uh, Pete's dragon. And then, which I don't think either of us saw, but then went back to making small, lovely movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say in case you're unfamiliar with Jean Colette Sarah, he directed house of wax. Oh five orphan 2009, the shallows, which was with Blake lively in 2016 and unknown with Liam Neeson. Like, these directors seem to be on different levels. Yeah. Will you seek out the next Call It Sarah film? Not specifically. Okay. No. Okay. No. Didn't seek it out because he directed this or she. That's kind of a um, ambiguous French name. I'm not sure. She has it, a thick beard. If okay. it, she is unattractive as in the traditional female sense, if that is a woman. All right. No. Then in, in his case, uh, not yeah. specifically. I think he did a really good job for what he had, though. Like, it, it felt like a high-budget blockbuster movie, and I think it was definitely worth seeing. It made me happy, and it entertained me, and that's all I can ask out of a, a Disney movie. Okay. I will ask you one more question, if you will indulge me. Um, yeah. And you'll have to help me. There was a film that came out that takes place, I believe, on the Amazon River, and it had um, Garrett Hedlund and... Oh man. I don't know who that is. Oh, you don't let me just see if I can find the movie. But the the question is basically going to boil down to like how does this compare to other sort of jungle adventure movies? And like I'm thinking like George of the Jungle, maybe Tarzan, The Jungle for me, Book. An, uh for me the one that came up immediately was Anaconda. 
Oh, great example. Yeah. That has real, because, like that was cheesy, whatever, but like had snakes. You could die. Were there snakes in this movie? Mm, there was a man made of snakes. I said snakes. <laughs> oh, I thought you said snakes. Snakes <laughs> or snakes. I don't care which. Bro, there was giant steaks that they ate, and there was also a man made of snakes. <laughs> that's funny. Um, okay. Well, that's yeah, what do you what do you mean? A man made of snakes? Yeah, so there's uh there's some like mythology and uh sort of like think Pirates of the Caribbean's Davy Jones coming to life with an octopus face type of ah. uh cursed animation happening in this movie. And there was um there was a man who was cursed. Okay. And his body is consistent entirely of snakes. Like uh-huh. if you cut him in his face, like seven snakes pop out. So it's like a hydra? You. No, like um no, not yeah, like a hydra. That's a hydra. No, a hydra is not that. Google a hydra. No, I'm talking about a person who's like whole matter is writhing snakes. No, I just mean in the sense that if you cut off a head of a hydra, three more kind of shoot out. No, no. I mean, I don't know what would happen if you cut this guy's head off because they didn't in the movie, but he got like a cut on his cheek and like some snakes popped out and that, bit somebody in the face. That's kind of, that's kind of the same. You cut them and then snakes come out. Yeah. Okay. That's, it's adjacent. I'll give you that. It's hydra adjacent. adjacent. Yeah. Fair. Hydra adjacent. Hydra adjacent. Yeah. And there was one dude that was made of honey. That seems less scary to me. But he's also got like control of bees. There's just bees everywhere. He's and one guy was made of, of the mud. Bees? Yeah, the bee. He's like a beehive. He's like a giant beehive person. <laughs> okay, the question is then: Would this movie have been better high on acid? No, it'd be scary. Okay, well that you love horror movies, so better. Yeah. Kind so of. then maybe, but also it'd be like I don't know, man. It probably because it was like so soft around the edges. Like there were stakes, but there was nobody's mm. like arms getting chopped off or anything. I mean, it was still a dizzy movie. All right. To close my loop, I was thinking of uh, Charlie Hunnam, not Garrett Hedlund, but they are very- Oh, in The Lost very, City of Z. The Lost City of Z. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so recommend Jungle Cruise for me or no? Uh, if you're in the mood, uh, once it hits Disney Plus where it's not behind the paywall and you can just yeah. watch it, 100%. Get drunk with Gianna. Okay. She'll love it. Have a good time, giggle, lean into it, lean into it. What time do I start that film? Anytime after 8 p.m. and you've had at least four drinks. Copy that. Okay, welcome now in just a moment. That was not the right way to say this. Should we go to Hot and Bothered? <laughs> Copy that. Let's do it. Hot and Bothered. Welcome to Hot and Bothered, the part of the show where we finally put our heavy rucksacks full of film and beer knowledge on the dusty old ground, and we just talk about kind of what's going on in our lives. Sometimes it's about movies and beer. Sometimes it's not. For me this week, it's a little bit of both, and I will start with the thing that is not. I visited my sister and friend of slash patron of the show, Bailey. Visited her for a couple days to celebrate my dad's birthday. He came to her place. I went to her place. And we hung out for a few days. Um, nice. It's been said that this show would not be what it is without the support of one Bailey Indeed, so, and, and that I'm, is the truth. Excellent. I'm glad you got to visit her. Everything going good down there? Yeah, everything's great. We we spent some time hiking. I am out of shape, so my body hurts today. <laughs> um, and today being the, the day that I left and kind of came back to, uh, to Chica. So me saying my body hurts is very much accurate. It hurts right now as we speak. Um, very lastly, I followed up on a recommendation you made, I believe, last week, which was your review of I Think You Should Leave Season 2. It's a sketch comedy mm-hmm. show on Netflix. 
and we hashed out kind of both of our feelings on it last week. So I will yep. just say, I feel the same that I did. There are some quality sketches in season two. There are some stinkers as well. So yeah. my take is if you like season one, watch season two. You'll have to filter through some garbage, but there's some gems. Fair enough. I think that's a really accurate uh, take on that show. I really, the irreverent side of me really enjoyed the ghost tour. <laughs> Which I guess that, I think it's in episode, it might be episode one, but if not one, two. Um, and it's I couldn't, I couldn't get over uh, the ghost. Obviously the ghost tour was sure. ridiculous. <laughs> Did they ever just fucking come out and just come everywhere? <laughs> it's so dumb, but so Dude. funny. Um, yeah, because like when you're on a tour and they say, yeah, you can swear, that's like, oh. Yeah. And he just took it to the, the nth degree. Yeah. I loved the, uh, it became, it was a bit and then it became a recurring thing uh, later on. But wait, it was wait, the, wait. I'm sorry. I haven't finished the, if this is going to like kind of be spoilery, please don't tell me. I haven't quite gotten through it yet. Not oh, halfway. no, it's early. It's okay. early. The okay. the hot dog in the sleeve. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, <laughs> Which, like, and but did have you seen the follow up to that with yeah. the vacuum? Oh, yeah. Yep. And it didn't do it for me. It just didn't hit. See, that made me giggle just because yeah. I love hot dogs so much. I, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Have you eaten hot dogs today, sir? Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's I think you should leave. It's on Netflix if you want to watch it. Let us know what you think. You know, Blah, blah, blah. Johnny, what's got you hot and bothered this week? Solid. I loved it, man. <laughs> I love it. All right. I've mainly just been watching stuff on TV besides Jungle Cruise. I've uh -huh. been binging uh, Hell's Kitchen. I'm on season oh, nice. four. I've gone through season one, two, and three. Um, there's a very important thing that you need to know, my friend. Me? You. All right. Do what? you like Hell do you do you like Hell's Kitchen? I like Gordon Ramsay. Okay. And you have Peacock, yes? Yes. On Peacock, Hell's Kitchen is completely uncensored. Oh, that's gotta be delicious. It is the best fucking thing in the world max if i remember it to bleep like, you right there i'm gonna do it because that would be just so great <laughs> it is it's like a gift from god yeah every time i watch an episode and i hear gordon ramsay say you fucking donkey i don't it is yeah tremendous. i guess i don't remember him i don't remember it being bleeped like i guess i just have heard him swear so much like my brain just kind of auto fills it right but i guess you're right i guess it is it is Bleeped, huh? Most of the time. It's all bleeped, yeah, because it was huh. on Fox. And so right. all of the ones on Peacock are rated TVMA because there's a gap on Hulu between like, I think it's season, there's like five seasons or six seasons that aren't on Hulu. Okay. So I, I jumped in and started watching them on Peacock and discovered this and it has just been the most, it's brought me so much joy. I'm so right. happy for you. That's great. I'm, I'm a, that's, that's a very specific uh, need slash mood I need to be in. But yeah, now that I know that exists, it will make a very particular night much better for me. Yeah, man. Once you're in that mood, get you some because it changed everything. Uh, the other way I've been killing time besides listening to Gordon Ramsay swear, um, if you have a PlayStation 4 and you're on PlayStation Plus, mm -hmm. you know that last month's free download was Modern Warfare 4, oh, which cool. is crazy because they're giving away for free games that like I stopped playing like the... <clears throat> I think I had Modern Warfare 3. Uh -huh. So I, I downloaded Modern Warfare 4 for free and have been playing online, playing Nuketown and all this stuff with new guns. Oh, that's and, that one? Yeah. I used to play that one. Right? I used to play Nuketown on like, I think Modern Warfare 2 was when Nuketown came Man, out. Man, 13-year-olds used to teabag me online in Nuketown. <laughs> I love Nuketown. 
that happened to me <laughs> last night. Dude, I, I don't get why kids are so good at video games on the internet. And they're so they're so irreverent and rude about it. They're very rude. They don't about have it, any idea me. what we're going through. I just want to sit down and enjoy a game, dude. Yeah. But Gavin. it's really fun. It's honestly, Trent, fuck off. Fucking Trent. Trent. Talent. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, but it's been really fun revisiting Modern Warfare. So if you're on PlayStation and you're playing Modern Warfare 4 and you're getting just absolutely annihilated by 12-year-olds like me. Yeah. Like send me a message. Let's team up. Let's let's annihilate some 12-year-olds. Let's tea back do them not, together. Do not isolate that and use it as a soundbite. You know I'm gonna annihilate some 12-year-olds, bro. <laughs> as always, this show wouldn't be what it is at the very least, maybe not even possible without the support of Bailey Minardi and all of our supporters on Patreon, our friends at the Handlebar. It certainly wouldn't be what it is without the beer buying expertise of Johnny Summers, perhaps the uh, medieval poem research of me, who is Max Minardi. We really appreciate you listening, Johnny. You wanna you wanna take us out of here? Yes, thanks again for all of your research. Really made the episode what it was. Uh, be sure to drink some excellent beers, watch excellent movies, and be excellent to each other. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.